5. And uh, as you take a look at, uh, at the scripture, uh, right before we read, I just want to give a, a little encouragement. I don't know if this ever happens to you, but sometimes it happens to me. I, I sit and I, I listen to a sermon or I, or I will read a section of scripture and I think, you know, that is exactly what so-and-so needs to hear. You know, that is just exactly what they're dealing with. And uh, I just want to encourage you. So often we develop the concept, maybe it's a means of protecting ourselves, that the Word of God is a flashlight that we're supposed to shine on someone else. But the description that the Word of God gives in the Word of God of itself is this, as a man looking in the mirror at himself. And when the scripture calls us to be not hearers only, but doers also, it says if it would be like a man who sees himself in the mirror and notices where the dirt is on his face, but turns away, walks away from the mirror, and, and forgets what he saw. So as we look at the scripture, especially today, because today it's so easy to, as we look at the story of, uh, of Hananias and Sapphira, when we look at what Scripture lays out for us with them, it's so easy to put ourselves where Peter is. Or maybe to put ourselves on the outskirts somewhere, looking in and thinking, yes, wow, I can't believe that happened to them. And really, as I studied this particular story, and as we look at it this morning, uh, I see myself as the two folks who died. I see myself as those who lied I see myself in them it's not something that happens to someone else it's something that the Lord allowed for a specific purpose and hopefully as we look at the scripture we'll see it but please recognize as you look in the mirror of God's word where the dirt is and use the word of God to cleanse it Scripture lays out for us in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins. Do you hear that first phrase? It doesn't say if we ignore them, if we pretend we don't have them, or if we, like Hananias and Sapphira, put a mask on and come to church and show everybody how good we can look on the outside. The inside, we just can't wait to get back to dead men's bones then we're not fooling God. He's not tricked. And that's the whole point of Acts chapter 5. So as we take a look at it this morning, I encourage you, just gaze long and hard into the mirror and let God's Spirit speak as He will. Now we're going to back up at verse 33 and read together in chapter 4. It says, And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them. And brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. And they distributed to each one as anyone had a need. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement... 
He's a Levite of the country of Cyprus. Having land, he sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a certain man named Hananias and Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Hananias, why has God filled your heart to lie to the or why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And keep back part of the price of the land for yourself. While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Hananias heard these words, fell down, and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young man arose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Now, it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. And Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church, and upon all who heard these things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, as we just come before you, Lord, we ask that by your spirit you would enlighten these scriptures to us lord god that we would see and understand father that we would have not only eyes to see but ears to hear and a heart god that is set that is willing to apply what your word says and what it is god that you are explaining to us so father we ask that you would be glorified and magnified in this place god We seek to honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, certainly when we come to Acts chapter 5, it is a rather special story. Hananias and Sapphira. They they come to us being made famous because they came to church and did what almost everybody does every time they come to church, only they died. And, and trying to understand what looks to be something very harsh. What has happened? What's going on? What, why would God do such a thing? And really all the people who watched felt the same way that you feel when you read that story. But as a, as a just to get kind of a, a sense of foundation underneath us, we need to have an understanding of how God feels about it you see well you and i we we make excuses for all that stuff don't we i mean to be honest people will stand outside and picket um for marriage for the sanctity of life they'll picket for a variety of different things they'll look at the the horror of these atrocities and sin that occurs in people's lives But we don't often have the eyes that God has for it. 
In Proverbs chapter 6, you're welcome to look there if you want. We're going to kind of cruise through the book of Proverbs uh, briefly as we take a look at the wisdom from on high. In Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 through 18, we're introduced to a section of scripture that ought to uh, stick out to us, especially as we, as we hear it. It says, these six things the Lord hates. Do you ever wanted to know what things God hates? He laid it out for us. And it says, seven are an abomination. We've heard a lot of things about what's an abomination in the pages of Scripture. Well, here the the Lord lays it out. I want you to hear the first one. A proud look. Oh. I mean, the first one is not homosexuality? No. The first one is pride. Pride. Just take a long look in the mirror. God hates it. Not he is uh, slightly displeased by. God hates a proud look. What's the second thing? A lying tongue. You have to get to the third thing to start running into what we consider to be those big sins. Please don't forget those first two. (coughs) When God looks at sin, it's so easy for us to start to, I don't know, become churchized. And we start uh, thinking, well, you know, these things are tolerable. We can tolerate these issues. We can tolerate pride. We can tolerate being proud of ourselves for, for what we've accomplished. We can tolerate, you know, those... Little white lies. What's the big deal? Those are the first two in a list of seven that God gives of things he hates. And when I I consider that, when I look at it, when I look into my life, I realize how many times I make excuses just for those two. Not counting the other ones, because I think I've committed all seven at one time or another in my life. But the first two are the ones that alarm me because the first two are the ones that I'll excuse. God doesn't like lying ever for anything. Whenever we talk about lying, it always comes up. Well, if I tell the truth, I'm going to hurt somebody's feeling. The Bible says to always speak the truth how? In love. Ooh, that's that little catchphrase. Speak the truth in love. Truth without love is brutality. The scripture lays out for us, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, except such as will bring edification and exhortation, that which will build up, stir up, and cheer up. That's the way we're supposed to speak. Let your language be seasoned. With salt. Don't just talk the talk, walk the walk. Be real. Be who you are. As we look at Proverbs, not only does it lay out in Proverbs 6 this concept about lying, but Proverbs 12 5. The thoughts of the righteous are right, but the counsels of the wicked are full of deceit. 
Verse 17, chapter 12. He who speaks truth declares righteousness, but a false witness, someone who lies, is full of deceit. Verse 19. The truthful lip shall be established forever, but a lying tongue for only a moment. Lying lips, in verse 22, are an abomination to the Lord. But those who deal truthfully are His delight. The church is kind of fond, the church as an organization, is kind of fond of throwing that phrase around. You know the one we just read, an abomination? But the church doesn't very often throw that phrase That lying lips are an abomination to God. Why do we do that? Because it's so much easier to look at somebody else's sin and judge them for it. Isn't it? So much easier to see what's wrong with somebody else. You know, that's easy to see. Well, I can pick that out real good. In fact, the scripture even talks about that, right? Before you go pull the speck out of your brother's eye, what are you supposed to do? Yeah, take the plank out of your own. Plank, a big old log sticking out of your eye. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we'll come to it in a moment, the scripture says, if you would judge yourselves, you would not be judged. We all know the scripture that says, judge not lest you not be judged. But the concept in scripture is that we're supposed to look at ourselves. Look at what scripture says to us. Look at what scripture is telling me. To look into that mirror. To look into the mirror and recognize that God says to us, if you confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Not an attitude of condemnation, it's an opportunity for forgiveness. But if you will confess, not if I'll justify. Lying tongue. (coughs) It's an abomination to the Lord. It goes on in Proverbs 13, a righteous man hates lying, but a wicked man is loathsome and comes to shame. Chapter 14 of Proverbs, verse 5, A faithful witness does not lie, but a false witness utters lies. Verse 25 of chapter 14, A true witness delivers souls, but a deceitful witness speaks lies. Chapter 19, A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who speaks lies will not escape. Chapter 21, Getting treasure by a lying tongue is a fleeting fantasy of those who seek death. Chapter 21, verse 28, a false witness will perish, but the man who hears him will speak endlessly. Chapter 24, 28, do not be a witness against your neighbor without cause, for would you deceive with your lips? Chapter 26, a lying tongue hates those who are crushed by it, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Chapter 29, if a ruler pays attention to lies, all his servants become wicked. Proverbs 30, do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Two things I request of you, deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Ephesians 4.25 Therefore, putting away lying, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, 
For we are members of one another. Colossians chapter 3. Do not lie to one another since you put off the old man and his deeds. 1 Timothy 9. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, fornicators, sodomites, kidnappers, for liars. Revelation 21, verse 8. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is a second death. For outside are dogs, sorcerers, sexually immoral, murderers, and idolaters, whoever loves and practices a lie. Matthew 15 goes on to say this, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and blasphemy. For from within, out of the heart of men, all these evil things come from within and defile a man. We look at Scripture. Scripture kind of says the opposite of the excuses that we give. Scripture doesn't just say, oh, it's a little thing. It's a little white lie. It's a little, what's the big deal? What's the, what's the problem? And it, and <clears throat> our heart here, my heart with the elders, and hopefully within the body here that's gathered together for worship, we desire to see revival move in our communities, in our neighborhoods, our friends and family to come to a, a realization of who Jesus Christ is. But the Bible lays out for us in 1 Peter chapter 4, that before that revival comes, judgment begins where? In the house of God. There's a revival about to happen in Acts chapter 5. It happens right after the first 11 verses. When Hananias and Sapphira become an eternal example for you and I about how God sees sin. Not as something small or insignificant, but something awesome, something incredible. As we take a look at what the scripture lays out for us in chapter 5, I want you to notice the first word it begins with. It begins with the word but. But, it means there's a comparison taking place. The comparison is between Barnabas, who sold a piece of property. Now, the def definite article is not present in either of these places, which means... This is not their only place that they had to live. It means they had some extra land, an extra house, they had a, some property somewhere, and they sold it. And they brought that money, Barnabas did, and he laid it down at the apostles' feet. He was led by God to give. And they, the people were so encouraged by what he did that they changed his name. The apostles got together and said, No longer are we going to call you Joseph, we're going to call you Barnabas. Which means a son of encouragement. So whatever he did brought encouragement. It brought encouragement to the people that were there. It brought encouragement for those who were just coming to know the Lord. We know we just saw that the number was a somewhere around 5,000 
people there in the church of Jerusalem coming and studying and searching and wanting to grow and the apostles. It's a new thing for them, right? You know, they, they didn't go to the, to the first school of churchianity. They went and, and just were walking around with Jesus. Now all of a sudden there's 5,000 people following them saying, what do we do next? And so they're, they're working their way through it and they're explaining to them the, the way that Jesus lived and the things that Jesus did. And as a result, some people are staying that had just came into town for, for the, that period of time, for that feast day, for the day of Pentecost. And they're hanging around, but they, they, they don't have the money to stay. So Barnabas, led by the Lord, sold some property, gave the money to the apostles. They used it, and, and things were able to continue to move forward. And, and God used that to touch people. And then, but, there were two other people. Two other people. Most of us are used to hearing them, Ananias. And in the Greek, there's a little uh, uh, thing that looks like an apostrophe that goes over the first letter. That means it is it has a heavy breathing before you pronounce it. It's the 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 sound of the ruach, the breath. So it's Hananias. And Hananias and, and Sapphira, they come together, the scripture tells us, they sold a possession. Not their only place, not all the stuff they had. But they sold something. And they wanted to be encouraged. They wanted to they wanted to really enjoy the fruit of what they saw being poured out on Barnabas as a result of his gift. They wanted to experience everybody thinking how spiritual they were and how encouraging they were and that they were somehow different than who they are. So they they conspired together and they put this mask on and they decided they're going to do this thing. Verse 2 says, They kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it. And brought a certain part and laid that at the apostles' feet. The scripture lays out that they made an agreement. They got together. They talked about it. They said, what do you want to do? It's, well, I, you know, I, I really want to have everybody think of us the same way they think about Barnabas. So, so let's sell this, this piece of property and we won't give it all. But we'll tell them that we gave it all. And we'll be able... To deceive God. And we'll be able to deceive the body. And we'll be able to receive the accolades of the people. And it'll be perfect. So this was their plan. And they come before Peter. Hananias by himself. Whenever we interpret scripture, there are (coughs) a bunch of fellows somewhere that write these books that people are supposed to read to help us make good solid interpretation one of the concepts is the concept of hermeneutics and in hermeneutics there are several principles well there's a principle that we encounter here in acts chapter 5 the principle that we encounter here is the principle of procedure and what we see in this principle is that there are occasions when god when an event is at its initial stages, when God makes a statement so that he doesn't have to repeat himself over and over and over again, he makes a strong judgment so that everybody will always remember. You might remember this one fellow. In the book of Judges, we have, or in the book of Joshua, we have Joshua and the children of Israel 
coming into the promised land. And they come to Jericho. Remember Jericho, the big walls? Walk around Jericho. Shh, don't say nothing. Then on the seventh day, do it, you know, seven times and shout, and the walls will fall down. You guys remember the story, right, from Sunday school? The, the walls fell down. They went in. You remember what God said? God said, don't touch any gold. Don't take anything from Jericho. You just consecrate it all to me. You just say, the first belongs to the Lord. So as they come into Jericho, they were not to, to take anything. Whatever was taken was brought into the storehouse of God. It was nothing for the people. Now later on, God's going to say, now you can take whatever you find in this city or that city, but this one set aside for the Lord. Well, as they were walking through, one of the guys, his name is Achan, he looked down and he, he saw a Babylonian shirt. And he saw, when he reached down for that Babylonian shirt, he saw a wedge of silver and, and a little gold. And so he scooped all those things up. He got together with his wife. They conspired, the concept being that God will never know that we did this. And they took that and they buried it in their tent. They got in their tent, dug a hole, buried it. whole family is a part of the process. And you remember when Joshua went to the second battle, the first battle with Jericho, remember the second? The AI. Smaller city, they didn't send so many people, and they got whooped. And Joshua said to the Lord, Lord, why did we get whooped when we went to Ai? And the Lord said, there's sin in the camp. Somebody took something from Jericho. So they found out who it was. The Lord led the people through the drawing of lots to Achan. And Achan confessed. And he and all his family were stoned. God made a statement in the beginning as the children of Israel were coming into the promised land to say, this is not a little thing. It's a big thing. So he makes that statement once. And from that point forward, wherever they went, the story would be told. Don't be like Achan. Don't don't make the same mistake he did. The things that belong to God belong to him. Give them to him. Let them be his. And so the same thing is occurring here in the beginning of the church. As the church is, is just getting started. It's just being birthed. And Hananias and Sapphira come with the same idea that we're going to deceive God. That we can fool God. That God will never know. We can come with our hypocrisy and it'll be okay. So God makes a statement so that forevermore people will look at that story and say, it's a big deal to God. It's a big deal to Him. So as we look, that's what we see taking place. That's what we see going on, that there's one time event. Why do we know it's one time? Because we're all still here. Did any of you guys sing any of the songs this morning? You're just lucky we didn't sing I Surrender All. Right? I Surrender All. All of a sudden the people come to the second stanza looking around like, I don't know if I want to say that. 
I surrender all, all to Jesus. I surrender. (laughs) Hypocrisy is still among us. The statement that God is making is, listen guys, this matters to me. And we have an opportunity to open up the mirror of God's word and allow God's word to reflect the truth of God into our lives. Not to condemn, but to say, deal with it. Don't just pretend it's not there. Don't walk away from the mirror and forget what's going on. Well, the scripture goes on to tell us as he comes before Peter. Peter says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? That word, by the way, Satan filled your heart, is the exact same word spoken in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. And be ye being filled with the Holy Spirit. The Satan had poured into Hananias' heart <coughs> this idea, this concept. But there's even more to it as we go on. It says, why? Why have you allowed this? To keep back part of the price of the land for yourself. Listen in verse 4. While it remained, was it not your own? The point was it. How much they gave or how much they kept. It doesn't matter. That's what Peter's saying. When you, when you had it, before you sold it, it was yours. After you sold it, you had all the money, it's yours. You can do whatever you want to with it. No problem. You keep every penny. You can have it all. The problem was not in what he gave or what he didn't give. What he says is it was always in your control. But look at that second half of verse 4. Why have you, I don't know if you like to write in your Bible, but circle that. Because earlier he said, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And now he says, why have you, what's the next phrase? Conceived this thing. Well, this is how it worked. Hananias, who is a believer, by the way. He... Gets this idea and he starts to chew on this idea and he conceives this concept. And as he conceives it, then Satan fills his heart with the attitude necessary to go do it. Same exact language is used in regard to Judas. Only difference is that after he conceived in his heart, after he thought about it, then Satan entered into his heart. And we don't see that occurring with Hananias. Satan doesn't enter into his heart. He doesn't take possession of him and make him do these things. He just fills him with whatever's necessary. He just pours a little of that garbage in the, the Hananias' heart so that he's willing. He's got himself all convinced that this is a good plan, that this is a good idea, but he conceived this thing. And then he says, You have not lied to man, but to God. A lot of times people are confused about God, confused about the concept of the Trinity. Maybe we can't always explain it as clearly as we would like, but very clearly in Acts chapter 5, the Holy Spirit is God. Do you catch that? Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? You have not lied to men, but to God. He lied to God. You can't lie to an impersonal force. You lie to a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is God. 
You lied to God. Then Ananias, <coughs> hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. Everybody always asks, and, 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 and often are worried about, well, what, what happened to, to these two characters in the Bible? We put such a heavy emphasis on life that when life is taken, we somehow think that everything's been lost. But that's not the case. Back in chapter 4, verse 33, it says, During this period of time in church history, great grace was on them all. It's not talking about loss of salvation or spending eternity in hell. But the Bible does very clearly tell us there is a sin that leads to death. That it is possible to not deal with things to the point that God simply brings you home. And that's what happens. Hananias has lied to God and God takes him home. But it doesn't change the point that the Lord is making, does it? He's not lost for all eternity. It's not all over for him. But everybody who's watching got the point God was making, right? Everybody who was there seeing it understood what was happening. In fact, it says at the end of verse 5, So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And we haven't even talked about those who saw it. Everybody who heard the story Great fear has come upon them. Well, we're going to come back and talk about that in a minute. This, this thing that occurs, the, the results of, of what God did. But as we sit here and we consider this, I guess the question that I would ask is, are we accountable to God? Are we accountable to Him? How many times do we excuse the lies that we tell to the Holy Spirit in an effort to deceive God. I, I can paint myself up. and If I go out in the parking lot and watch you all drive in, I see the fight happen when you're coming in and swinging in the parking lot and the door opens and you say, now stop, stop it, we're at church. <laughs> Occasionally you might look over at your spouse and say, get thee behind me, Satan. Or maybe, maybe that would be the spawn. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> God knows what's happening in our hearts and what's going on in our lives. And rather than trying to bury it and pretend we're all okay, wouldn't it just be easier to stop in the parking lot and say, you know, we need to pray. We need to confess. Have I got a bad attitude? Or I'm angry. Or I'm, I'm frustrated or whatever. And just ask God for forgiveness. Doesn't he give it to us right then? Who do you think is telling you to fake it till you make it? You think that's Jesus saying, yeah, fake it. No. The same fellow who was whispering to Hananias and saying, oh, come on. It's not a big deal. Just, just make everybody think it's okay. Don't deal with the problem. Don't face the issue in your life. Bury it. If you bury it deep enough and you hold the banner of Jesus over the top of it, I'm sure it'll be okay. It will all be gone. But it's not real. What's real is when we do what God's Word tells us to do. Is there some other authority that we're supposed to follow? God's Word tells us. 
if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive. I don't need a priest. You don't got to come to me. You don't got to go down to a confessional somewhere. But also keep in mind that the Bible does tell us to confess our sins one to another. Why? Sometimes you just got to hear yourself say it. And to be honest, I'm really okay with confessing my sins to God. But telling somebody else, do you really want to to share with somebody else what goes on in your head? What you were just thinking? What what issues you're struggling with? What what sins are are creeping around? So what does the enemy tell us? The enemy tells us, bury it, forget it, dig a hole. Stick it in the ground, cover it up. It'll go away. No, it won't. It will fester. And it will rob you of all your joy. And you can have good days. Sure, I can have good days. I can talk to myself at having a good day anytime. But I'll have a much better day if I will simply do what God's word asks me to do. There are issues that that occur in my life and issues that that God is dealing with me where he has said to me before, you need to go confess that to a brother. Oh, Lord, don't make me do it. (laughs) Why? Jackie, why do you care about going telling it to your brother? Because then he will know who I am really am don't you see all the deceit that runs around in our hearts and that's how we get behind all this weirdness where we're pointing our fingers at everybody else and and not focusing on what the mirror is telling me and the mirror is telling me i'm a sinner i'm just like the tax collectors and the prostitutes there's not anything different that happens in my mind or in my life that happens in theirs none whatsoever and if we think somehow you know i am a better person than they are i'm a more holy or righteous person than they are we need to start over and read through the verses we just read through because it's not a little thing to god it's a big deal we have, to, we have to face that. Am I accountable to God? They, these two guys believe that they could, that they could deceive Him. That they, if they pretended it, if they would just fake it long enough, they'd make it and everything would be okay. And, and, and it'll all be good. And, and you know, because I just don't want to deal with it. I just don't want to deal with it. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to have to face it. I don't want to trudge all that stuff up. Let's just leave it buried. And, I, and I, in some ways, we're guilty of that because. Because the truth is, the absolute truth is that Jesus Christ makes us clean and we are made new and all that stuff in our past is all done away with. And it's all the power to be free is there. But the power to be free happens in our life because we're obedient to what God's word tells us to do about it. Not because we dig a hole. Not because we just pretend it never happened. But because we allow the light of Christ to shine on it. And we're not afraid. We're not afraid for the 
opportunity to, if led by the Lord, to go to a brother or sister and say, Hey, the Lord led me to just come to you and I need to confess some things that are going on in my life and ask you to pray with me. But you better be careful if you're the other person in that deal. Somebody just came to you in a glass house. You better put away your stones. Because there, but by the grace of God, what? That's me right there. What's the scripture say? To restore a brother in a spirit of what? Meekness and fear, knowing that you yourself are just as guilty. And we need the grace of God in our life, don't we? And you know, if the church did this, if the church walked in this, if the church acted like instead of trying to elevate ourselves, instead of trying to say how good we are and how, make ourselves look all better, like we're not really like those other people. But we are those people, don't you see? We are those people and we need that healing. And that healing comes from not trying to deceive God and deceive our brother, but from being real with God. And confessing our sins. And then doing what God is is asking us to do. To be quite honest. It's really why I love Celebrate Recovery. Because one of the steps to Celebrate Recovery. Step four. I think Howard fixed me if I'm wrong. He'd come up and slap me if I do it wrong. But (laughs) you make a. a, um, What is it? A fearless what? Is it five? A fearless moral inventory. Now, most people quit CR about that time. A fearless moral inventory. You've got to take a look at your life and see what's broke and what's good. And if you're both sides, not all, just negative. Why would I want to do that? Well, <laughs> because you're going to find some stuff there that you thought you dealt with that you didn't. Oh, that's, that's kind of ugly there. And then, the, then you're going to take that fearless moral inventory that you put together and you're going to lay it out before God and you're going to confess it to a brother oh they're they're going to know and you're going to experience real grace maybe for the first time in your life where somebody knows who you are and what you've done and they just don't have no judgment. They just pray with you. And, and you experience the forgiveness and the grace of God floods over you. And all of a sudden, all that stuff that you thought was buried and gone now really is. And you are clean. Don't you see that's what God's telling us in Acts chapter 5? Deal with it. Or it will deal with you. It kills. Sin kills. Are we accountable to God? 1 Corinthians 11, I I shared with you before, if we would just judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. God doesn't want to condemn us. He wants us to deal with it. And go on. But not to ignore it and pretend it's not there. But to deal with it and and move forward. 1 Peter 4.17 For the time has come for judgment to begin in the house of God. In Acts chapter 5, we have this story 
fear comes upon all the people and and uh, and and as that fear comes upon the people we're going to see revival move we're going to see incredible things happen miracles going on as we go through the rest of chapter 5 we're going to see God doing incredible things but but the picture don't you see the picture is first they that sin which was secret inside that nobody else could know about that that got dealt with and that's got to get dealt with with me and unfortunately, it's not your job to see it in me and fix me. It's my job to look in the mirror and clean it up. And it's your job to look in the mirror and allow God to do what He does. He'll make you clean, perfect, without spot or, or, or blemish. He, the work's already done. It's just really experiencing it, feeling it, see, seeing it in the real well, Scripture goes on to tell us after he died and they buried him, three hours later his wife comes and Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for this much. Listen, Peter's given her an opportunity, guys, an opportunity to repent, an opportunity to come clean, an opportunity to say, No, no, nah, we came up with this scheme. But she doesn't know what it's going to cost her. If she knew what it cost her, you think she'd say that? Nope. She didn't know. The difference between her and you and I is now we know what it's going to cost. And it needs to be something that we're willing to say, gosh, I, I, need, to, I need to deal with these things in my life. So Peter says, how is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Your deception is against Him. And immediately she falls down dead. And the people who were outside the door who just buried her husband, now they come in and get her and they go and bury her. And look at the next phrase in verse 11. So great fear came upon all the church. Was that a good thing? Great fear came upon all the church and all those who heard about it. Unbelievers and believers alike. So what happened? Hananias, what was the result? The result of, of that hypocrisy in his life led to death Sapphira same way by the way Hananias means God is gracious and Sapphira means beautiful so they they both die I think we'll see them both in heaven I don't believe they lost their salvation or that they were fake. I think they are just like us. But they became a couple that God used as an example to say, this is something important. And I don't want to have to repeat myself over and over and over, so I'm just going to do it once. It wasn't unjust. It's absolutely just, according to God's word, what occurred in their lives. But the scripture then tells us that fear of God came upon the church. And whenever I say the fear of God, what, what pops in your head? Come on, play with me. <laughs> the fear of God is the beginning of what I know somebody has to have it out there somewhere. Often when we talk about the fear of God, that's a verse that pops into our mind. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And true, it's true. It's it's actually repeated three times in the scripture, that same phrase. But I want to I want to share with you a, a bigger picture of the fear of God. Job twenty eight twenty eight, 
And to man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. Listen to what the fear of God is. Not the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Great, but what is it? To depart from evil. Let the Bible define itself. The fear of God is to depart from evil. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Understanding what a changed life looks like. And how we experience that by shunning evil. By turning our back on the old ways. On who we used to be. On what we used to do. We do things different now. We do things in another way. In Psalm 19.9 it says, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. And righteous altogether. The fear of the Lord is clean. It's clean. It's not wallowing in the muck in the mire. It's experiencing the holiness of God. Psalm 34, 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. Do you hear that phrase? There is no want. The Lord is my shepherd. What did he say? I shall not want. Why? Because he is everything I need. That's the fear of the Lord. Psalm 111.10 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and a good understanding have all those who do His commandments. Who follow His word. Who allow these things that God lays out in us to happen. In Proverbs 3.7 it says Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. The, the language conjoins those two phrases. Fear the Lord and depart from evil it's, it's the same thing fear the Lord and, and depart from evil great fear came upon the church what's that mean? it meant no longer did they look at those little things like this is just a little thing they looked at those little things and immediately thought you know what I need to confess this I need to bring this to the Lord for forgiveness not just bury it somewhere. I need to deal with these things. I need to, I need to be straight up with what God, what's really happening in my heart. It, it's not so that we can point our fingers and condemn one another. It's so that we can come alongside one another and pray for one another. This is what the church needs. This is real. Don't you see? This is what the world wants to understand. Not the fact that they're dirty and rotten and they're sinners and they do all these bad things. And all that stuff is true. But that we are all those things forgiven by a God who loves us. For whom, or to whom, or by whom, He has great grace for us. The message that the world hears is, they're all goody-two-shoes and we're all bad and going to hell. Well, to be honest, that's not that far from the truth. However... We're all sinners saved by grace. If the message they hear is that message, we haven't declared the message well enough yet. We've got to do a better job declaring the truth. Yeah, you're a sinner, and without Christ, you go to hell. That's where I was. That's who I am, apart from Jesus Christ. The message that God wants us to 
to, to glean, to understand. The scripture even lays out in unbelievers, all those who heard were filled with the fear of God. They saw the power of God working in people's lives. In this particular story, we see the power of God working in a negative sense. But the power of God also works in a positive sense, doesn't it? Who are they all talking to? Peter. Didn't he deny the Lord three times? Oh yeah, what, what did he experience? Forgiveness. As he wept bitterly before God and sought forgiveness, he received it. He received it. The same concept. This is the message that God wants us to have. This is a message that God wants us to glean. As we look at the word today and as we prepare our hearts for a, a, an opportunity for communion. This is what I, I, I just want to encourage us. We come and it's a, a difficult section of scripture to deal with. But please understand. It's our mirror. I don't see myself as Peter. I don't see myself as a young man who carried him out. I'm the two knuckleheads. That's who I am. And God wants me to deal with what's happening in my heart. God wants me to deal with my sin. Not to condemn and say, I always knew you were dirty, rotten, good for nothing. No, what's he do? He forgives us. He makes us clean. And to experience that, what do we have to do? Confess. Confess your sins to the Lord. And he is faithful and just. To forgive us our sins and cleanse us for how much? All unrighteousness, right? Church, please, experience it today. Don't got to wait till tomorrow. You can have it right now. Amen? I'm going to have Fritz come on up and he's going to share in a, a, a few words for communion as we enter into a time of communion. And that as we do so... Um, worship team can go ahead and come on up and we'll get set. You know, um, testing. Uh, communion is an opportunity for us to self-examine, not to self-examine our spouse, our neighbor, but to look inside our own heart. God, search me. Know me. Know my heart. Lord, is there any hypocrisy in me? Is there anything in my life, Lord, that's displeasing to you? You know, uh, Paul speaking of the Passover said, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, 
you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. You know, not only did Jesus die for our sins and shed his blood that we may be saved, but he's coming again. And, you know, I often think we, we need to be reminded because the truth is we forget. And we can go through the emotions of celebrate recovery, the soup kitchen, teaching the kids, singing songs, and even opening our Bible and studying and forget why would we do this. But just as he fulfilled everything in the Gospels about his first coming. He's going to fulfill everything about his second coming. He's coming for us, church. And we often forget our Lord is coming for us. And we're going to stand before him. Search my heart, Lord. May I not take the the bread and the cup in vain. May I do these things that I do in service to you with a right heart. And we need to be reminded. Why do we need to be reminded? Because we forget so often. And we could become like the, the Ephesian church and forget our first love. I want the, uh, the, uh, the ushers to come and uh, start passing out the... Uh, the bread and the, the wine, wine. Leave it all behind, leave it all behind, leave it all behind, leave it all behind. I have what you need, you keep on searching, done all the work, you keep on working, when you're running on empty. Can't find a remedy Just come to the way Beautiful wife Chasing what's missing But that empty inside Just ain't gonna listen Nothing can satisfy The world leaves you high and dry just come to the way No who thirst will thirst no more All who search will find what they so long The world will try It can never feel So leave it all behind Come to the well. 
so you bring me your heart no matter how broken just come as you are when the last prayer is spoken the rest of your arms are wild you'll feel the pain of time when you come to the well Joy's gonna flow like a stream in the desert. Soon all the world will see living water is found in me. Cause you come through the well. Temporary 
Speaking of the Last Supper, it says, when, when the hour had come, and he sat down with the twelve apostles with him, then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer, I will no longer eat of it until I, it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. You know, this is it. This is the hour. Every time they tried to crown him king, Mary, his mother, said, Lord, turn the water into wine. He says, Woman, my hour had not yet come. When Jesus fed the 5,000 on the hill, they tried to grab him and crown him king. And the scripture says, that he got out of their midst for his hour had not yet come. And over and over in the scripture it says, for his hour had not yet come. And Jesus said, with fervent desire, I've desired to eat this bread and drink this Passover with you. And I believe it was not just the three years that he spent with him. I believe it's, he's talking about the first Passover in Egypt. When this was a shadow of things to come. And they had, as good Jewish children, had gone through the Passover year after year after year. And he said, this is it. This is the true Passover. I am the Lamb. And when he is breaking, he says, remember. Do this in remembrance of me. I want us all to take the bread together. Lord, we just thank you. We do this in remembrance of you, Lord, and the, and the body that was broken for us. Lord, and, and, and that you paid the price for us. Lord, we do this in remembrance that, Lord, you are coming again. Lord, and we will see you face to face. Lord, we just thank you. Lord, may we serve you with a, with a right heart, Lord God. Lord, that you will be glorified in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all take the cup. And he says, and he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Let's all take together. Lord, we just thank you for the blood that was shed, Lord, uh, by which we are saved. Lord, uh, as we come together, Lord, may we remember why we do what we do. That when we take this cup, Lord, uh, we uh, proclaim your death and that you are coming again. Lord, we just thank you for this new life in you, this new life, this new covenant in your blood. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Amen.